Amen. You guys sound amazing. And it is exciting to be here as we continue our series on emotionally healthy relationships. And the goal for the by the end of this series is that you are going to have 100% healthy relationships. In these four weeks and the four weeks from last year, your relationships are going to be totally solved. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, maybe if Jesus comes back in the next four weeks, that will happen. But the idea is to take time to grow in our relationships, to think about our relationships. I believe the Spirit is, one, is a spirit of reconciliation. And so God's Spirit is always trying to reconcile us with Him and with each other, with people that we like and people that we don't like with people that have not sinned against us and with people that have sinned against us. And so I hope you feel that pull from the Spirit towards people because that's what the Spirit does. It brings people together, not apart. And I hope that we'll be able to love a little bit better, that our church will be a little bit healthier, that we'll be able to express Jesus a little more completely because of this focus. And I, I do believe that a, a couple years ago, this was brought to our attention that we really need to grow in this. And it wasn't, we realized it's not going to be just an eight-week series. This is something that we're kind of doing periodically over the four, over four years. So this is kind of the second year. And so uh, I hope you see some progress there. And... Um, and so this is this is what we're shooting for here today. Uh, the title today is called God-Centered Living. And in the chapter, it was some title called Climbing the Ladder of Integrity, which I couldn't really work with that. I, I was just trying to figure out what that was myself. So we're, I know what God-centered living is, so that's kind of what we're shooting for. We don't have any points in the sermons today, but we're going to look at Jesus and how he put God at the center of a few different relationships in his life, and hopefully it's going to connect uh, with you. Uh, uh, two, two short things, housekeeping things I want to take care of before we start is, if you do want to learn, uh, if you want to do the blankets with Beverly, blankets with Beverly, that's got a good ring to it. Um, if you do buy the materials, please save the receipts because we want to reimburse you for that, right? Because we want to, you know, support this effort and uh, give everybody a chance to, to do that. And then over the last couple of years, if you we've done a lot more things online, right? How many people knew what Zoom was like three years ago? <laughs> Not many. Maybe if you're in sales, you did, but no one else really knew what that was. So. Now we have our small groups, and even online, we have people that are online all the time. And then uh, every once in a while, like last Wednesday, we were having our midweek service, and I forgot to start the Zoom link, right? So it had a nice link. If you want to join online, you can do that, and it didn't matter if you wanted to join. You couldn't join because it, uh, there wasn't, you know, the button wasn't pushed to help you to join. So I figured, we figured, hey, we want to make room for everybody, and if people want, need to be on Zoom for whatever reason, they're traveling, they can't drive. So what we're doing uh, starting February 8th 
is for midweek services, Chevy and Vivian Hernandez are going to run like a, a Zoom, they're going to be the Zoom facilitators for the entire church. And if you, if your family group is one, you know, if you feel great with that, with your kind of hybrid, you have people in person and online, you could keep doing that. But if you'd rather, it's kind what I found is that people feel left out, right? If you talk too much to the screen, then the people in the room feel left out. And if you talk too much to the room, then maybe the people on the screen feel left out. And I know Darren has it all figured out. And so if you want to learn how to do it better, he's got that figured out. But our group, we're not, we're not so, uh, we're not so sharp in our group, so we don't have it figured out. And so thank you to Chevy and Vivian who are going to be doing that. And we're just going to keep all the other discipling and everything the same as it is now, but just give people a chance to really connect uh, in that way. Um, so that, that's what I needed to say there. If you are curious about the chapter there, Climbing the Ladder of Integrity, you can just Google it. And basically the point is you, when you're stuck in a relationship or you don't know what you're feeling, there's these 10 step, 12 steps that you can go through to help you identify what's going on. Why is this upsetting you? What, what would you like from this? How can you, how do you feel? And, and so it helps you in your relationships and really in our relationship with God. We have to know where we are so that we know how to love other people. You know, and we're going to look at that in, in just a little bit. Like some of us, we, we do too much and we take on too many responsibilities. So that's good to know. So that you just know, like, off the bat, I probably need to pull back. I need to be in a constant state of pulling back if my tendency is to get involved in everything. And maybe you were that person in high school that joined, like, 23 clubs. You know, if that was you, then you probably do the same thing at church. So you need to hold back. But if you're like some of us, we maybe we don't reach out to other people or we, we don't want to get involved and we kind of have the... You know, your relationship with God over there, my relationship with God over there. And if you're like that, and I can tend to be a little bit that way, and so I know, hey, I need to reach out more. And so I need to be in a constant state of reaching out. If you're that way, if you're more introverted or you're more like don't want to get involved, then to have great relationships, you're probably going to need to kind of push yourself. You know, so if you're like Danielle and I, we're kind of like the opposites. So it's kind of weird, like she needs to relax and I need to go. And so we're trying to constantly negotiate, like how can she relax and how can I keep, you know, motivated and keep going. And so uh, not that I just sit around doing nothing. You get, you get the idea. If you have healthy relationships, you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so anyway, so you... Basically, this ladder of integrity is to help you to know yourself and when you get stuck, to help you get unstuck so that you can take it to God and take it to others. Okay. That's all we're going to do from the book there, Sarah. So we we got that in. This is basically the summary of the day. Jesus gave himself in love from a place, from a loving union or loving relationship with God. That's pretty much all that he did in his, that's what it means to have a God-centered relationship. That you're loving others from a connection with God. You know, when he was baptized, God said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And that's kind of a, 
encapsulates his identity as the son of God. That encapsulates his place that he is loved. And that encapsulates his mission. Listen to him because he's going to speak God's words. And, and that's what it means to be God-centered. And then we get pulled in all these different directions. But when we keep God at the, at the center, we know which way to go. We know how to live. And at least we have a better chance of knowing how to live. Because it's not easy, as we're going to find out here today, But my goal is that we will all leave here motivated to put God at the center of our relationships and at the center of our lives. That in every situation we can ask ourselves, what would God want me to do? What would that mean to put God at the center of this relationship in my marriage, in my friendships? And I kind of think of it as if if there's two people standing, sitting next to each other, standing that, that God is in between us. And so it's not just about me and my wife or me and Daisy here, that that God is there. And so that affects how I am called to treat that person, that I'm called to love and I'm called to have compassion. I'm called to have respect and all these things that maybe in and of myself, that might not be where I'm at. But because God is there, we become that cord of three strands. And so I hope in every situation that, Maybe you're getting mad at somebody and you can remind yourself, you know, God is in between us right now. And I need to let that affect how my relationship is. So we're going to look at a few things from Jesus here. And we're going to start in John. It says 20, but it's John 12, uh, verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. And so when you, we're all, some of us may be familiar with this passage, but it struck me, this passage is a kind of a weird passage. That these Greeks come up and they're like, hey, we want to see Jesus, and they go through this whole chain of command or just talking to his friends and they finally bring him to Jesus, but Jesus doesn't say anything about that. It's like they, they want to see Jesus, but he is kind of talking about something else. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't maybe say what he wants, what they want to hear. But as I was looking at it, I, what came to me was he's telling them, you want to see me? Just stick around for a little while. You're going to see me. You want to see what I'm all about? Just stick around for another week. You're going to see what I'm all about. You're going to see what you want to see or what you need to see, which would be him suffering and dying for them. But he didn't answer their question directly, and you could tell that he was going from a different place, that God was informing his relationships here, that he didn't just do what maybe they expected there. And he gives us the... The, the secret, if you will, of having a God-centered relationship. And he says it in a parable, and he says, I tell you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single seed. That might not seem like that's the key to having a God-centered life, but it certainly is. In so many different ways, Jesus said the same thing, that you, we need to die to our lives to be able to live for God. Amen. And you could take of it, think of this statement as the, the, the time when you die is the time when you let down your life and you take up God's life for you. That you stop making your decisions, that your decisions are now informed by Christ. That you don't just have your relationships, but you put God in between your relationships. That in that way that your old life is dying, is dead. And your new life begins. And so uh, that's what Jesus did, that he took on the life that God had for him. He wasn't selfless, totally. When you're selfless, that means that only other people matter. That Jesus didn't just live his life for everyone else. We can, we can get stuck with that, right? That we just want to please everyone around us. As long as everyone around us is happy, then I'm loved and I'm doing great. How's that work for a life motto? Terrible. Because you, you're never pleasing everybody. There's always something else. There's all, you know, and so it's, it's a life that leads to deceit. Because we want to be seen in a better light than we really are. And it leads to lying and it leads to a whole host of anxiety. And always wondering, how do I stand today? And that wasn't the life that Jesus lived. He didn't live a selfish life either where no one else matters. You know, it was, it was a balance of himself and God and everyone else. And he let God determine his decisions. He says in here that we have to hate our life. He said, whoever uh, loves their, uh, whoever, uh, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And some of us have heard that before, but that just kind of stood out that that's, that, that was kind of a surprise or that was kind of weird. Like you need to hate your life. And you run into those people that sometimes they're like, oh yeah, I, this world is this world is evil. I hate I hate this world. And that's what Jesus said, but that's not exactly what he lived. He saw the treasure in everyone. When he looked at the world, he saw creation, he saw God's work. He saw sin that tore it down and destroyed it, but he also saw the beauty, he saw those seeds in in each of us. I pray that today that we choose to live by the rules of heaven rather than the rules of earth. That we recommit ourselves in our relationships to love and follow Jesus and serve. And it says that the Father will honor you. That was another thing that seemed kind of weird. Aren't we supposed to worship him? Aren't we supposed to honor him and lay down our life for him? And he says, well, if you... Take down your life and take up my life for you, then I will honor you. And I will take care of you and I will bless you. And that, that's just pretty awesome that the creator of the universe would take note when you died to yourself. And that's what God calls us to do. That's what makes 
love, is that decision of, hey, it's not what I want. I want to give. I want to give the love that God has given to me. And to see those seeds of, of God in each person that we come across. And to, to make a decision to die each and every day. I pray that even as you live, that you see those seeds in all of us. Maybe they're separate gifts. You know, have you noticed that we're not all the same? We're all Christians, but we're not all the same. We all don't think the same way, do we? We all don't have the same backgrounds, do we? We all come from different places. We all have different talents. I mean, Roy can sing. Jason can sing, but I can't. So even though we're in Christ, we're not the same. If I was leading the song service, it would not be the same. <laughs> it would be more like a comedy than, than a real worship of God. And I think that sometimes, even as Christians, we feel like we should all be the same. We should all think the same. We should all have the same backgrounds. We should all feel the same way about all the same things. Where is that in the Bible? God calls us to put him first, and we all can love in the same way. We can all respect each other in the same way. We can all have the same purpose to glorify God and help other people, and we can appreciate differences. And we can hold up those and we can we can see that maybe your seeds, maybe you grow orange trees. And I, I probably like you better if you grow orange trees because I like orange trees. And maybe you grow wheat like Jesus said. And maybe you have different talents that we all have what God has given us. God didn't give us all the same things. But he's, he's given each one of us something special. So even in here, if you try to be like someone else, it's not going to go very well. Because God didn't make you like anybody else. He made you to be like Christ, but he didn't make you exactly like anyone else in here. And so if we can all live what God has given to us, that we're living our unique life for God, but we're living that together life for God too. And if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of dualities here. That we're individually, like when Jesus talked to Peter and Peter was like, hey, what, what about John? What's he going to do? And Jesus is like, I don't care about John, Peter. What are you going to do? You need to follow me. And it was a very individual, personal talk. And then we're going to see later where Jesus is like, who are my mother and brothers? Everyone in here is my mother and brothers. That we're all together. We live in a society of individuals and so... All of us need to strive to be together. Because the world is telling you to be separate. Be yourself. Even in, you know, there's a lot of great things in, in psychology that can really help us. And we really encourage people to do that. But even the idea of differentiation, if you're familiar with that term, it basically recognizing where I end and you start. That, that I'm my own person and I'm trying to help you, but I'm not, if you're having a bad day and you're depressed, that doesn't mean that I'm depressed. That I can still have joy and I'm trying to help you and I don't take that on. That sounds really easy until it's in your own house. You know, when your spouse is upset, you get upset. When your kid's struggling, you're struggling and 
God's trying to help us that, you know, you can be separate and help. What was I, what was my point there? <laughs> anyway. I forgot what that point was, but the original point was that we're in a society of individuals. And so all of us need to resist that and lean into our community, lean into our family, lean into our family of believers, because that's probably not nat- Maybe for some of you that's natural, and you think of us before you think of yourself, but for most of us that's not true. And yet Jesus said, you are my mother and brother. So that means we have to continually lean into, this is my family. This is my community. This is the family of God here in our, in our midst. It talked about the concept of, of fig leaves and our God-given self. And, you know, from the garden, when they stepped out of who God made them for, they, they immediately wanted to cover up. And they wanted to hide and they wanted to be who they weren't. And it came shame. And, you know, the idea of just be who you are. Be honest. Good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, Jesus wants us to come to him. He doesn't want us to hide or pretend or whatever, but to have the idea that even when I'm wrong, I can still come to Christ. I can still repent. I can still have forgiveness. I don't have to hide. So much of our energy comes when we try to hide and try to pretend that we didn't mess up and we try to blame other people. And that's not a good way to go in our relationships. So let's not try to cover up. Let's, let's open up rather than, than cover up. So we're going to look at Jesus in a few scenarios. And I'm, I might not get to all these because we want to. We're having a baptism today. If you haven't heard, uh, Eric uh, Parizio is going to be getting baptized back here. Um, and uh, we're excited. His grandmother's here as well. And so we're, we're, after we take communion, we're going to take probably 10 or 15 minute break. And then we're going to have all the sharing in here. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, you can join that. And if, if not, you can, uh, you're free to go afterwards. And then we'll... Um, We'll do that, just so you know uh, what's coming on the rest of the day. But it's exciting to see someone who's uh, literally dying to themselves today and putting on Christ. Um, So just quickly, I wanted to mention Jesus in his hometown. It says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And so thinking about Jesus, God-centered relationships, that he, was, he didn't get his worth from the results. Right? Because he, he's doing all these miracles. He goes into his hometown and nothing happens. It could be tempting to feel like, hey, what's wrong with me? Is God pleased with me here? What's, did I have a bad day? You know, but he got his security from God and not his hometown. And that can be challenging for us when we feel like, hey, we want to help people, we want things to go a certain way, and they don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with you or me. That God just wants us to love him, love him and let him take care of the rest. 
And Jesus exemplified that, but he didn't also get an attitude toward his hometown and say, well, everybody back there, they're a bunch of hypocritical, you know, where we can kind of go to that extreme too. Well, okay, well, everybody back there, this is a bunch, that's just the world over there, a bunch of bad people. And yet four of his 12 followers came from the next town over. So it wasn't that he just condemned everybody, that he still saw the good, but he didn't get his praise from what you could see. That's a good lesson for us. Maybe you don't see what you want to see. That doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. That doesn't mean you messed up. Although you probably did, because we all sin. God works in spite of that. But let's not get our worth from what we see. Although we want to see great things, but let's not get our worth from that. Amen? Amen. Those are the people that he got from his hometown. Let's talk about family for a second. Jesus had some interesting relationships with his family, and this is one of the maybe low points, I guess you would say. It says, they went home and the crowd came together so that he could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for they said, people were saying, he has gone out of her mind. Out of his mind. And it's interesting, I haven't looked exactly super closely at the, the translation of that last sentence there, but it's like his family went to take care of him because they, because people were saying that he's out of their mind. So it wasn't even like it started with the family, like it's like somebody went to the family and it's like, did you see your son? He is losing his mind. They're going out and all these demons are coming out and they're not even taking care of themselves. And so it's just like they heard something and it came to Jesus. And, um, and what did he, you know, do with that? Like I said, I mentioned before, it says his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and brothers? And those looking, then looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Imagine the stress that you're inside and your whole family's outside and everybody's saying, hey, you got to go talk to him and you got to stop what you're doing. And you ever been in that? It's chaos. A lot of times when it gets to be chaos, we start to lose our God-centered identity, right? We start to give in to all these pressures around us, and we just want it to go away. And, and But Jesus didn't do that, that he stepped into it and challenged the situation. And he was redefining what family was, and you can imagine what that meant in his society where you were supposed to honor your mother and father, not just till you left the house, but till you died. Like you were supposed to obey them like your whole life. But he stepped out of that to make this point. And, but he didn't all go to the extreme and saying, hey, my family, they're messed up. They don't understand what I'm doing. They're, they're, they're following the ruler of this age. No, it was in that moment they were not thinking straight. And God wanted them to keep doing what he was doing. They just came back from sending out the 12, and he, he wasn't done yet. But he also loved his family. That when he was at the cross, he didn't look at Mary and go, Hey, uh, these are my mother and brothers. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to you. 
No, he took care of her in that moment. You know, his mother and brothers were there when the church started. They, they were praying with the Christians. That his two brothers wrote part of the New Testament. So even with our own families, that we can be tempted to go to extremes and not keep God in the center of it. Like, yeah, sometimes my family's crazy. Sometimes your family's crazy, but we still love them through it, and God works. And sometimes I'm crazy, and they're looking at me going, man, you're crazy, you're off. But I think to keep God, if you can just ask yourself that question, how can I keep God at the center of the relationships in my family? I can't control them. I can't make them do what I want them to do, but I can do what's right. I can keep God in there. And then the, Jesus with the religious leaders, I'm not going to read all this. You can, you can check that out. But they basically said that he was driving out demons by the devil. And Jesus, you know, responded. And he said, you know, how can the devil drive out the devil? If he's divided against himself, he can't stand. So you might think when you read the New Testament, how does Jesus feel about the religious leaders? What do you think? I mean, the first passage that come to my mind, he's like, you know, woe to you. You know, you, you strain out the gnat and eat the camel. And, you know, you, you hypocrites, you, you take the Lord's name, you know, you, in vain. And you, you don't honor him with your, you, with your hearts, just with your lips. And, and so you could think, man, Jesus, he really doesn't like religious people. He's always, he's always yelling at them. He's always arguing with them. And they're arguing back. And they usually start it. But then Jesus sat down with Nicodemus and had a talk. And Nicodemus was the one that was helping him, to taking him down from the cross. When he healed people, he would send them back to give the sacrifices so that the religious leaders could say, hey, he's, he, he's respecting the word of God. And even when Jesus talked about him, he said, don't do what they do, but listen to what they say. So there was a respect, even though there was some hypocrisy there. And many priests became believers as well. And so even there, he kept God at the center of his relationships, that he stood up where he needed to, but he also submitted himself to the laws. And he humbled himself, and he made extra effort to help them to see God. You know, you don't, make, you don't make extra effort for people you don't care about, right? If you don't care about people, you're just like, I forget those guys. But he took extra concern on multiple occasions to show love to everyone. And that's what it meant for him to keep God at the center of his relationships. So as we take communion today, um, let's think about how we can keep God in our relationships. Where is God pulling you towards? What relationships is he pulling you to reconcile? How can you keep him at the center of your relationships? He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered, The voices come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus said to them, The light is with you for for a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you were going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. And even to the very end, Jesus pushes back a bit on what it means to have life to the full. He wasn't trying to gain everything. He was trying to give everything. And again, he gave his life in love because of his walk with God. I pray you can think about that in our relationships. And this can motivate us to continue to keep God at the center of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus and his example that he navigated uh, such uh, so well his relationships, God, that he could always hear your voice, whether it was with his family, with the religious leaders, with people that knew him growing up, God, that he always kept you at the forefront of his mind and heart and soul. God, I pray that you help us to follow in that example, help us to make the decision daily to die to ourselves, to be those seeds that die so that you can use us and bear much fruit. God, thank you that he didn't just talk about it, but he lived it every single day and that he ultimately put his life on the line for us. Thank you for his body and blood that give us that opportunity to follow your plan for our lives. God, we love you. We're so grateful for this time to reflect on Jesus and and reflect on our relationships with one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.